Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you for tuning in. God bless you. We appreciate your prayers and support. And um, we are hoping to connect this morning with Dr. Alveda King. Um, We're waiting to uh, try to connect with her via the phone lines. And um, we're going to definitely talk about some pro-life issues, uh, touch on a little bit of history that a lot of people don't know because it's not taught and a lot of people avoid the true history of the gruesome business of abortion in America. But, um, yeah, so let me read a scripture I wanted to start off with today. And, uh, by the way, thank you uh, for also for checking out our brand new product page, merchandise. It's on a website with Friends of the Ministry up in Canada, Red Pill. Prince. We've got t-shirts, sweatshirts, a coffee mug, which I just ordered, with the Stand Up For The Truth logo, new design t-shirts, Truth Over Fear. There's hats, there's beanies, so check that out, Red Pill Prince. They don't make money off of this. They're paying their costs, and everything above that goes to our ministry. They're generously donating any proceeds from this gear, Stand Up For The Truth gear, to our ministry. So we'll link that on our Facebook page and everybody else, everywhere else we can put it, redpillprince.com. Okay, Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. Many of you are familiar with it, but this is an important foundation for part of the topic today, part of the podcast today. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. That's Psalm 139 starting in verse 13 through 16. Now let me quote Margaret Sanger, the radical who coined the term birth control and who really was a catalyst for the abortion movement and the slaughter of innocent children in the womb in America. And actually around the world, she influenced other countries. We'll get to that perhaps later. But she said this. You just heard Psalm 139. Now let's hear Margaret Sanger. It is a vicious cycle. Ignorance breeds poverty, and poverty breeds ignorance. There is only one cure for both, and that is to stop breeding these things. Stop bringing to birth children whose inheritance cannot be one of health or intelligence. Stop bringing into the world children whose parents cannot provide for them. Herein lies the key of civilization. And that is the founder of Planned Parenthood, and that's her worldview. Now, I've got some other quotes here I want to read contrasting Scripture with the radical worldview of Margaret Sanger and the Planned Parenthood 
business. Here we go. Galatians 1.15 says, But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the, among the Gentiles. Wait a minute. Whoa, let's go backtrack. Did you hear that? The very first. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb. And then let's talk about what Mar- Margaret Sanger said. She wanted to point out the, quote, unbalance between the birth rate of the unfit and the fit. And she says, on the contrary, the most urgent problem today is how to limit and discourage the overfertility of the mentally and physically defective. What did Psalm 31 verse 15 say? What does God say in his word? My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies. And, of course, many of you are aware of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, where we are saved by grace through faith. But verse 10. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are my workmanship. You are, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good things, before he, things that he knew before you were even born, it says. I just paraphrased it. But let me quote Margaret Sanger. She says, until capitalism is swept away, there is no hope for young girls to live a beautiful life during their girlhood. There's no hope that women can live in the family relation and have children without sacrificing every vestige of individual development. So Sanger, of course, was an atheist, socialist, um, feminist, radical feminist, and she was against the biblical worldview. Now, Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. So, (laughs) there's so many other quotes that I could share, but I want to go to one that is... Maybe shocking to some. Uh, for those of you who, who had studied this history, you're going to get say, yeah, I wish more people knew about this. But Margaret Sanger was also one who inspired Adolf Hitler indirectly. Ernst Rudin was one of the top eugenicists for Adolf Hitler. He actually wrote articles for Margaret Sanger's Birth Control Review. And there's another man who Sanger recruited, and he was a black man named Dr. Clarence J. Gamble. That's right, of Procter & Gamble. In 1939, Sanger recruited him, and um, Gamble wrote suggestions for the Negro Project. Now, remember, he's black, and he said this, the mass of ignorant Negroes still breed carelessly and disastrously so that the increase among Negroes, even more than the increase among whites, is from that part of the population least intelligent and fit and least able to rear their children properly. And he wrote this as well. The most successful educational approach to the Negro is through a religious appeal. Pay attention, Christians. We do not want word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister, in other words, the religious leader, the pastor, the minister, the reverend, is the man who can straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any more of their rebellious members. Talking about churches who might not like this idea. 
So, it was clear that Margaret Sanger and those she recruited, they had strategic plans to set up birth control clinics. Do you know where the first ones were placed? New York City. Do you know where in New York City? Black inner city neighborhoods. They were targeting blacks, Hispanics, Jews, and even Catholics. That's right. Um, Florence Rose, in 1942, was working with Sanger to help sell abortion to the black religious leaders because there was some opposition, obviously, to, at that time to Sanger's birth control ideas and eugenics and things like that. So Florence Rose noted a meeting with Planned Parenthood Negro Division board member Bishop David Sims. Now, he was an African Methodist Episcopal church member. Now, he agreed to begin the, quote, softening process among the representatives of different Negro denominations. So they worked diligently to sell the idea of abortion, and some things never change. They sell abortion today. Let me tell you what's happening in our public schools today. And this is, I'm, I'm taking some of this information from a chapter in my very first book called Eradicate, Blotting Out God in America, on page 101. Typically, Planned Parenthood's agenda looks like this. Dupe the public into believing their main goal is women's health services. Lobby for increased federal funding through American taxpayers. Re-elect pro-abortion Democrat representatives. Influence public school curriculums with the help of the NEA. Get young kids and teenagers addicted to sex. Encourage experimentation. Well, how would that help Planned Parenthood? Well, <laughs> eventually, the more young kids have irresponsible sex and experiment and do whatever you know they want to do, the more pregnancies will occur, correct? So the next step is sell them birth control. When kids catch sexually transmitted diseases, sell them testing services. Can you see the cha-ching, the dollar signs racking up for Planned Parenthood abortion business? And when a young girl gets pregnant, sell her an abortion. Wash, rinse, repeat. Has America's conscience been seared? That's one of the questions that I like to ask. How can you not say anything? How can you say anything other than, uh, yes, our conscience has been seared? Um, God willing, if we can connect with Dr. Elvita King, who, by the way, is Martin Luther King Jr.'s niece, and um, her website is Elvita King Ministries. It's simply elvitaking.com. She's so influential in the pro-life community. She works with Priests for Life, but she was born again in 1984, and she's got an amazing Queen Esther story that God really spoke to her through the Word. Um, and she's got an award-winning film called Roe v. Wade. I'll put that link in the podcast notes, Roe v. Wade, because that's one of the things we, as Christians who are uh, believing the, the whole Bible is true, that means on life, we are believing that Roe v. Wade was not based on truth, facts, or even science. 
but it was based on feelings, lies, and propaganda. And one of the questions they asked in the Roe v. Wade case in 1972-73 was, do we really know when life begins? Well, now we do, Christian. And what do we still have in the Supreme Court? Roe v. Wade, it's still the, quote, law of the land, even though the Supreme Court does not legislate, right? (laughs) They're the judicial branch. (laughs) Okay, so let me quote. Well, by the way, the only solution to this is the gospel of Jesus Christ and the value of every single human life created in the image of God. So um, Peter Heck is a history teacher and a pastor and an author, and he wrote a book, I think about 10 years ago, called 78, How Christians Can Save America. And the 78 number, if I remember right, is that at that time— Approximately, approximately 78% of Americans claim to be Christian. So stop right there, head scratcher. Well, why does the world, why does the culture and why does America look the way it does if uh, an overwhelming majority say or think or claim Christianity? And we talked about that last week in my brand new article on my website about only 2% now of young parents hold a biblical worldview in America. That's a brand-new Breaking Barna study, Barna Research, and the um, Center for—what is it? I got it. I got it. It's coming here. Anyway, it's Barna Research Cultural Research Center. Cultural Research Center. So I wrote that. So it's over at harbingersdaily.com, Harbingers Daily. So Peter Heck said this. Think about this now. This is what a lot of people are promoting in America, particularly the, the platform of the Democrat Party. If the truth offends you, be offended. He said, quote, Is it anything but society's moral confusion that says, if you hold an infant's head inside the birth canal while inserting scissors and suction tips to extract its brain, you are completing a, quote, legitimate medical procedure, end quote, but doing the same thing with the infant's head outside of the birth canal is first-degree murder? Is it anything other than society's moral confusion? Why, let me ask, if we had such a Christian influence 50 to 100 years ago or more, not anymore, the salt and light is diminishing, but there's a remnant, friends. There's a remnant. That's our job. That's where you and I come in. But so why? So these are some of the questions we need to ask. And I think um, these numbers are close. I'm thinking it's, a little bit more frequent, but let me just share a, a paragraph from this chapter I wrote on Planned Parenthood's buried history. Um, 96. Remember this number. A baby is aborted at a Planned Parenthood facility somewhere in America every 96 seconds. In that same amount of time, 96, Planned Parenthood receives 1,056 taxpayer dollars. That equals $11 a second and allows them to abort over 910 lives every day. How did it get to the point in America where we kill our own in the womb and call it a choice? It sure did not happen overnight, but it does occur every 96 seconds. 
So right now, I think maybe it's even more frequent, but um, the number of abortions from all clinics, that's just at Planned Parenthood, friends. That's just at the big giant, the abortion giant. Overall, all killing fields, all killing clinics in America, it's estimated to be over 3,600 babies a day, equaling one abortion every 24 seconds. So 24 seconds, that's not very long, is it? But here's where the statistics add up. We're seeing this. In America today, over in New York City and a couple places down south, Mississippi and, and a couple places, but New York City particularly, there are more abortions than there are births in the black community. Look it up. Look it up. Those aren't my numbers. That's not my speculation or hypothesis. This is actually based on true facts and studies. And this is, you don't think that's racist, friends? Did you know? A majority, 79% of abortion mills, abortion clinics are in low-income minority neighborhoods across the country, inner cities, black neighborhoods, 79%. And no one on the left wants to look at that glaring elephant in the room, for lack of a better. No one wants to look at that. No, no, that's just a coincidence that a majority of abortion businesses are in minority neighborhoods across the country till today. And the very first one was placed in Harlem. They had a plan, and that plan has been implemented, and it is destroying lives in America. There have been over 60 million now, 60 million abortions, just since 1973 in Roe v. Wade. Americans, since 1973, slaughtered by abortion, total 10 times the number of Jews who died under the Nazis in the Holocaust. And we don't want to call this a Holocaust. Now, I know this is strong this morning, friends. What a way to kick off the morning, right? (laughs) Welcome to the podcast. No, this is an important topic, and we were going to talk about some of the history with uh, Dr. Alveda King. Um, She would share some things. And I don't know what happened this morning, but she would share some things that would shock you about Martin Luther King Jr. and his views on the on he was pro-life. Um, yeah. And she's a Republican. And uh, she uh, speculates that he would also be. In fact, he uh, supported Republican policies. So we have to go over the weekend, by the way. I've got two minutes left in this segment. Over the weekend, I, I saw part of a movie. I forgot what it was called. Um who is Matthew McConaughey was in it. It was about s- slavery and during those times, and it was really astounding. It, it was heart-wrenching, some of the truths. But what we talk about that and all the injustice that took place, but we're not continuing to raise awareness and fight against the injustices happening today. And so this is some of the, th- some of the things we just wanted to discuss today and bring back to your memory because we don't often talk about the details. We don't get down into the details of this. So um, I mentioned Ernst Rudin, and I've just I've got less than a minute now. I've en- mentioned Ernst Rudin. He was Adolf Hitler's director of genetic sterilization. He founded the Nazi Society for Racial Hygiene. That's right. She wrote, uh, he wrote for uh, Margaret Sanger's Birth Control Review. I believe it was 19, er, 1920s. Um, late 1920s, perhaps. But 
I'm going to go through some men in history that you probably have never heard of and a little bit of the progression, for lack of a better word, of the abortion movement and how we got to where we are today. We'll also talk about Margaret Sanger's biographical timeline and how did she become so radical, a hater of God, a hater of life, and why does the media celebrate Margaret Sanger's legacy? And why are taxpayers continuing to fund the slaughter in America? These are questions that we don't ask often enough. We're going to get into that and a lot more when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. So before we continue, I just want to mention real quick, hopefully we'll get into the details at the end of that. We've got time, though. April 8th, there will be a protest at... Um, St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Appleton, April 8th at 9 a.m. until noon. That's on Oneida Street. What's the protest for? Well, Scott Shera, one of our guests who we've had on three or four times now, who uh, his daughter was uh, killed at that hospital um, through wrongful medications and a do-not-resuscitate order um, without the family's approval. There's going to be a protest on April 8th. We'll continue to talk more about that. We've we've got several weeks, but we will talk about that maybe at the end of this hour. Um, So back to the story. And then later in the next segment, I'm hoping to get to some alarming articles on censorship. And uh, you didn't say anything, friends. Uh, Often people will stay out of the the loop and out out of the way until it happens to them. But um, the Democrats are becoming more radicalized They've redefined disinformation, and they, of course, have redefined extremism in order to censor differing views. And what are those views, whether whether it's on climate change, whether it's on the COVID narrative, whether it's on the freedom, the, the, capital, um, the capital event, January 6th, um, they're going to work with big tech to censor what they are defining as misinformation or disinformation. And unfortunately, even DuckDuckGo, it seems like they are starting to cave a little bit. I've been using that instead of Google, but man, our choices are becoming more limited. Um, I want to remind you again to go to StandUpForTheTruth.com and check out our 200 resources in alphabetical order. Okay, so let's get back to this shocking history of a warped worldview of eugenics and Planned Parenthood's Margaret Sanger. Uh, birth control, abortion, and murder. Uh, this guy's name is Lothrop Stoddard. He was born in 1883. Um, he was a sophisticated racist. <laughs> he was the co-founder of the Birth Control League with Margaret Sanger. Lothrop Stoddard. Um, he described the eugenics practices of the Third Reich as scientific and humanitarian. And even went so far as to say that, quote, the Jew problem is already settled in principle and soon to be settled in fact by the physical elimination of the Jews themselves from the Third Reich. Now, 1932, Margaret Sanger published A Plan for Peace. That was in the April edition of her Birth Control Review. This is what some of the quotes that it included. We, I wish we had more time, but we don't. I'm just, I'm just getting you some of the basics. 
To give certain dysgenic groups in our population their choice of segregation or sterilization. Also to apportion farmlands and homesteads for these segregated persons. The next step would be thus to control the intake and output of morons, mental defectives, epileptics. The next step would be to take an inventory of the secondary groups such as illiterates, unemployables, criminals, prostitutes, dope fiends, classify them in special departments under government medical protection and segregate them on farms and open spaces. This was 1932. Having corral, she would, by the way, she would get along great with the World Economic Forum and the globalists today and the Great Reset Agenda, right? Quote, Margaret Sanger, quote, having corralled this enormous part of our population and placed on a basis of health instead of punishment, right? Oh, it's for your health. When have we heard that in this COVID chaos we've seen in the last couple of years? It's for our good, but it's for your health. It's for the good of the people, right? These lockdowns, shutting down businesses telling churches you're non-essential, stay closed, wear, wear masks, get the vaccine, get the next vaccine, get a booster shot, get the next booster shot, social distance. It's for your own good. This is, isn't that interesting in 1932 that they were talking about this? Um, so it's just another reminder that nothing is new under the sun, right? So here's what she said. Having corralled this enormous part of the population, placed it and on the basis of health instead of punishment, it is safe to say that 15 or 20 millions of our population would then be organized into soldiers of defense. Next, Ernst Rudin, Hitler's psychiatrist and eugenicist, his article, Eugenic Sterilization, an Urgent Need. It was published in the 1932, that same year, Margaret Sanger's Birth Control Review Journal. The next year, 1933, follow along, Rudin drafted the Nazi sterilization law in Germany, which originally called for the sterilization of schizophrenics, alcoholics, manic depressives, and other subjects of Rudin's, quote, research. Then, programs began to sterilize black Germans and expanded to include, to include Jews, gypsies, and, quote, inferior race types. This all led, now remember his connection, Ernst Rudin's connection to Margaret Sanger. Remember this, and the Birth Control League. This led to the establishment of a killing program that began at several of Germany's psychiatric hospital hospitals, and the first to die were between 375,000 and 400,000 mental patients, and others deemed to be unfit, either racially, physically, or mentally. Who determines that? So they're trying to be God, aren't they? They were playing God. So then, to help understand this timeline here that we're talking about, it was only a year after Sanger delivered her peace plan that Adolf Hitler signed the infamous Law for the Prevention of Hereditarily Diseased Offspring. Isn't that an interesting way to put it? Law for the Prevention of Hereditarily Diseased Offspring. 
Here's another man you need to know a little bit about, just at least familiar with. Margaret Sanger and Ernst Rudin were both influenced by the population control theories of Thomas Robert Malthus. Thomas Malthus, he died in 1834. He was an English scholar and mathematician who believed that the power of population is indefinitely greater than the power in the earth to produce substance for man. In other words, he thought there's way too many people to be able to survive with the earth's limited food and resources, right? Natural resources. <laughs> well, that quote didn't age well. But he literally believed in the survival of the fittest, that the poor were not worth feeding. George Grant, in his revealing book on Margaret Sanger, called the book was called Killer Angel. In one of the six editions of, quote, An Essay on the Principle of Population, Thomas Malthus wrote this, quote, All children born beyond that, beyond what would be required to keep up the population to a desired level must, be nece- must necessarily perish unless room is made for them by the deaths of grown persons. Oh, stop right there. Now the elderly come into play. Now the sick and the diseased and those in nursing homes. And now that euthanasia is now, oh, that, well, we, that might be a good thing now, right? This is what, this was, uh, you know, in the, he died, like I said, in 1834. But these were some of his ideas that Sanger latched on to. And um, he wanted to facilitate facilitate this. So he believed mankind was to blame for all human suffering. And now we we got to take some responsibility, right? But God is sovereign if God is God. So Thomas Malthus was also a key influence in the lives of Charles Darwin and Karl Marx. The plot thickens. Let's move on to someone you might know named H.G. Wells. Yeah, that's right, H.G. Wells. He was a famous British author, another elitist who believed in eugenics. He spoke at a dinner honoring Margaret Sanger, H.G. Wells. He said the movement she started will grow to be, a 100 years from now, the most influential of all time in controlling man's destiny destiny on earth. And quote, well, it, it is controlling who can who's allowed to be born and who is not because of the birth of the abortion movement and the, the celebration of it now today. But he said that probably about 100 years ago. Isn't that interesting? He was so that was somewhat prophetic. The movement Margaret Sanger started will grow to be 100 years from now, the most influential of all time in controlling man's destiny. So he traveled and promoted her birth control cause. Margaret Sanger met H.G. Wells, who was a Darwinian atheist, by the way, and uh, they had an affair. So, of course. (laughs) Um, What did he say? He said this, We want fewer and better children who can be reared up to their full possibilities. Uh, There's another quote. I think I'm going to skip that one and go to the next man on the timeline here to help you understand. Leon. Whitney, 1894 to 1973. He was a dog breeding specialist. He had an article published by Sanger in June 1933 entitled Selective Sterilization. It praised and defended the Third Reich's pre-Holocaust 
race purification program. So Whitney, Leon Whitney, was secretary of the American Eugenics Society, and he calls for the sterilization of 10 million, quote, defective Americans. That's when the population was approximately 126 million. What is it now? What is it now, 330 million or something like that? What would he say today, right? But anyway, they thought, well, the, the earth can't hold all these people. There's not enough uh, food, water, natural, res- natural resources. Okay, so let's go on. So he said this, Leon Whitney said, well, we were, pussy- well, we were pussyfooting around. The Germans were calling a spade a spade. Leon Whitney. So in 1938, Margaret Sanger's sex education and family limitation programs were accepted in Sweden, the first free nation to permit abortion. So that's how far back this goes, and that's how influential Sanger was in the world. Wow. So now, after World War II, let's jump ahead in history a little bit, the horrors of eugenics and Nazi atrocities, including the use of concentration camps, human experimentation, the gas chambers, all these horrors were exposed. And here's what happened. How did, how did Planned Parenthood distance themselves from this history? Well, Margaret Sanger acted deceptively and quickly and shrewdly, I might add, to attempt to kind of separate herself from this and the Birth Control League from the Nazis in the Third Reich's final solution. Her idea was to change the name of her organization. That's right. She didn't want any trace of her close Nazi associations. So that was the birth of Planned Parenthood, which formerly was the Birth Control Federation of America. BCFA, Birth Control Federation of America. 1942, they changed the name to Planned Parenthood Federation of America. By then, it had 34 state league affiliates, and they changed their name legally in their bylaws. And this was is still in the New York bylaws. Quote, to develop and organize on sound eugenic social and medical principles, interest in knowledge and the knowledge of birth control throughout the state of New York as permitted by law. So that, that was on the books. Now, let's, let's go to the Nuremberg trials of 1945. Allied prosecutors recited the appalling account of Nazi crimes, including the practice of forced sterilization. One of the excuses given by the German socialists who defended their drastic population control measures was that they were inspired by the progress of the birth control movement in the United States. Did you hear what I just said? At the Nuremberg trial, some of the Germans said they were inspired by Margaret Sanger's movement. By 1956, abortion became legal in 11 more European nations. And within a few years, United Nations agencies would begin to subsidize Planned Parenthood Planned Parenthood programs in many other countries. So I don't think we're going to take the time to jump into this, but as you know, Margaret Sanger was an atheist, radical feminist, a Marxist, and an avowed socialist, and obviously a eugenicist. But 
her history is really sad. Um, a lot of heartbreak, a lot of family uh, problems, and uh, a lot of rebellion against God, first and foremost. But in 1923, at that time, the American Birth Control League received grants from who none other than John D. Rockefeller's Bureau of Social Hygiene. So the Rockefellers go back in this history of population control, of trying to be God, right? The, the elites wanted to rule. How is that different from the Great Reset and the plans of the World Economic Forum and the Klaus Schwab's of the world? You know, so one more th- note I'll give you just because it's provocative and I want you to remember something. Sanger said this, the most merciful thing that a large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. And Sanger gave a lecture on birth control to the women's auxiliary of the Ku Klux Klan in New Jersey in 1926. She helped organize the first World Population Conference in Geneva in 1931. She founded Population Association of America with Henry Platt Fairchild. So she's working with the socialists, the eugenicists, the elites, the wealthy, right? It doesn't take you much to understand that the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And this is part of the reason Planned Parenthood rakes in over a billion dollars in revenue. Ha- over half of that, something like $530 million comes from the American taxpayer. And you don't call that a travesty or injustice. That's a problem. So I want to mention in the last two minutes of this segment here, um, something about the protest over at um, uh, St. Elizabeth's in Appleton, Wisconsin, that um, hospitals endorsed a national mandate to exterminate special needs people. Now, you're going to have to find out what this is all about. Well, Scott Shera laid out this research stating that patients are worth more dead than alive. His daughter, Grace, was killed. The hospital received $13,000, a death bonus, and that's far less than the national average of a $100,000 bonus received for COVID patients who have been ventilated and died. As you know, she was given three medicines, and she died within an hour of that. that. It, it was, uh, there's this word, contraindicated, contraindicated medicines. Anyway, so this protest, April 8th, 9 a.m. to 12 noon, I'll skip some of the details because we've done three or four podcasts with Scott Shera. I encourage you to go to Stand Up for the Truth in the upper right-hand corner. There's a search bar. Put in Scott Shera or Grace. That's his daughter, Grace. But the last name is spelled S-C-H-A-R-A. So there's a protest on April 8th. And uh, we talked about the financial incentives. We talked about the COVID protocols. We talked about how... um, Man, Catholic hospitals nationwide received $8.3 billion from the feds for COVID-19 patients in 2021 alone. So we'll move on to the next topic. And the next topic, friends, will be censorship. They've redefined misinformation. Wait till you hear what they're doing next on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Um, I just want to mention a book by Dr. Alveda King, How Can the Dream... Now, remember, she's Martin Luther King Jr.'s niece. When Remember this famous I Have a Dream speech. 
She says, how can the dream survive if we murder the children? And that's why we had the pro-life topic today, exposing the truth and some of the radical history of the warped worldview of Margaret Sanger, abortion, and uh, Planned Parenthood. So now, um, there's a quote I want, or, or a verse, a Bible verse I want to share with you. This is interesting. This goes back to what we were talking about, why the biblical worldview has drastically declined in America. Well, there's a verse, first of all, what was the research that, if you missed last week's podcasts, only 2% of young parents, what do they classify as young if you have someone that's under teen years, so 13 or younger, if you have, if you have children, you're considered in, the, in this group, where only 2% of young parents in America today have a biblical worldview, and yet 67% of them claim to be Christian. Well, in Titus chapter 1, verse 16, it says, They profess to know God, by their, but by their deeds they deny him, being detestable, and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny him. Uh-oh, Christian, that means we, we have to be fruit inspectors in a way. I didn't say judges, because God is the judge of people's hearts, of those who profess to know him, but we know there's a lot of people that are just not converted sitting in churches around the country every Sunday morning, and they don't even know God, but they profess to, they show up, but during the week, you might not even know they're a Christian. In fact, some might say there's no way that person can be a Christian based on their deeds. So now let's go to what's really happening and frightening in a way. The feds are giving tech companies until May 2nd to turn over COVID-19 misinformation. Did you hear what I said? Our government is forcing big tech companies to turn over their definition now, their understanding of COVID misinformation, whatever has been on social media platforms. What do you think they're going to do with that? Huh? Well, their, their defense, they're saying throughout this pandemic, the impact of misinformation has been devastating. And I will say yes, but not in the way they think it is because they're not allowing the other side. I mean, my goodness, there was, I mean, <laughs> there's so many people today who still have no idea there, there were things you could have taken to prevent COVID. There, there are things you could have taken to strengthen your immune system and, you know, supplements and vitamins and things you could have done uh, prior to COVID. But yeah, yeah, they, those were squelched immediately. So remember, during the State of the Union address. Here's what Joe Biden said. Uh, This is part of the National COVID-19 Preparedness Plan, right? Um, In addition to demanding misinformation data from the tech platforms, the Surgeon General called on the healthcare providers and the public to submit information about how COVID-19 misinformation has negatively influenced patients and communities. So therefore, we've got to define what misinformation is, don't we? Well, let's talk about, there's a couple different articles right here. I'll just talk about a couple. Joe Biden and Department of Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas. Um, this This is really interesting what he's saying. 
But by the way, let's talk about some of the stats here first. They immediately opened up the southern border when they came into office, right? So over 2 million illegal aliens have crossed the southern border. Uh, Biden set another record. Only 59,000 illegals were deported in his first year in office. That's the lowest number since 1995. So it should be obvious then about Biden's intentions, about what he's trying to do before he leaves office. So rather than shut down the border, Mayorkas released new rules on, quote, extremism. Now, let's bring this into context here. Those who question the the fraud in the 2020 election, you're an extremist. Anyone who questions the regime's talking points on COVID, you're an extremist. If you think there were other treatments other than masks and vaccines, you're an extremist. If you think the mandates were ineffective or should have never been allowed, you're an extremist. Do you understand where this is going? Um, The DHS uh, noted that domestic violent extremists extremists who are motivated by a range of ideologies and galvanized by recent political and societal events in the United States pose an elevated threat to the homeland. Okay, so these are some of the narratives that I just shared with you and which they would call conspiracy theories. Even though we know, but the media barely, if not ever reported, that Dr. Anthony Fauci lied under oath about his funding for gain-of-function research in Chinese labs. So now the Department of Homeland Security has guidelines against speech. So, Democrats, and let's bring the climate into this. Climate activists are pressuring big tech to censor, quote, misinformation as well. That's interesting. All these different angles that they're going to be tracking down and probably punishing, at least censoring, if not punishing, quote, misinformation. Remember Google acted to demonetize, quote, climate denial information. Facebook upped its, quote, (laughs) fact-checking of climate-related posts and emails obtained by watchdog groups. And there's proof, obviously, that it, it targeted conservatives and Christians. I mean, a couple examples were uh, of conservatives that were targeted. Prager University, Dennis Prager, and John Stossel, who was a journalist. Twitter promised to be a forum only for credible content on climate change, right? So now, a Democrat in California, the chairman of the House Oversight and Reform Committee, his name is Kana, K-H-A-N-N-A, He's now trying to uh, investigate and conduct hearings on misinformation. So he said this. This was uh, in um, January. He said misinformation being spread on social media is undermining our efforts to tackle climate change. As chair of the House Oversight Environmental Subcommittee, I will be holding a hearing to hold social media companies accountable. Now, social media companies are, they're obviously towing the party line, right? Liberal, leftist, Democrat, progressive, whatever goes against biblical truth and even scientific truth, but they would argue that, right? Um, But they're saying these 
Uh, Facebook is preventing us from taking action on climate change by allowing climate misinformation to spread. So this is their angle. You have to know what the enemy's doing. This is their angle in approaching this. It's going to continue to silence the opposition, which would be you and I, if you have the biblical worldview, if you are trying to promote the truth, and at least just have a conversation about these things, they don't even want to have a debate anymore. And that's propaganda, and that's communism, communist policy. So we already know from open records that social media giants collaborate with um, the climate alarmism, but now you can't even use that term anymore. Right. So uh, climate alarmism, it shows you what side you're on, so to speak. So they're going to they're going to clamp down on that and punish that. So after a Google announced Google announced last fall, it would demonetize what it calls climate denial. Green activist groups pushed to expand the definition of denial. Oh, here we go. They're changing definitions on us. That's what they do. That is what they do. Um, so the Center for Countering Digital Hate, oh my goodness, it's lumping in conservatives, conservative news sites with the Russian state-run media, right? It's, it's saying uh, the Washington Times, Newsmax, Breitbart, you're all over. If we were living in the 1930s and 40s, they, they would have lumped, lumped uh, these conservative outlets in with the Nazis. That's how ridiculous this is, but they, they get away with it. Because people are misinformed. Literally, they, they are ignorant and don't know the truth and the, our true history here. So um, this is a British-based organization aligned with the left wing of the Labor Party. And it advocates for removing what it defines as hate groups from media and social media outlets. Okay? So I just wanted to give you an idea of what's continue coming down Um yeah, there's so, many, so much more commentary. Even the Daily Wire was censored because it intimidates its opponents. Actually, this is what the Daily Wire said, and this is why they were attacking the Daily Wire. It said the left intimidates its opponents into silence. Would you say that's accurate or true? The left intimidates its opponents into silence. So now pressure from Democrats and activist groups to block differing opinions is being pushed further and further along in our government, in big tech, social media conglomerate policies, the one party, big tech. Um, so this sends a message that they are so worried about the public, right? Why? Because most of what they spew is false. It's garbage. It's not true. It's propaganda. That's why they have to censor. They can't allow open debate. They can't allow the truth and the facts to be shared in a fair environment where you can hear both sides. Imagine that, what it used to be 25, 50 years ago in America. But this sends a message that they are worried that the public is not signing on to their agenda. So they're using strong arm tactics to silence viewpoints that challenge theirs. Right? Okay, so I think we have to wrap it up there, but um, you can get these articles. In fact, I might write a little bit more about this this week because it's such an important topic. If we're not able to speak freely, we have a problem in the land of the free and the home of the brave, don't we? That's how it used to be under our Constitution. It still is, 
But now they're not only redefining terms like disinformation, misinformation, extremism. They're redefining what the Constitution means, right? They want it to be a ever-changing, living, breathing, changing with the times document, right? And it's interesting how some progressive and radical leftists in uh, Christian left, uh, they're trying to change the Bible to keep up with the times. So it's interesting they use the same or similar tactics. Well, friends, um, we've got to wrap it up in a minute, but I want to remind you to check out Red Pill Prince. That's Red Hill, Red Pill Prince.com. They have a Stand Up for the Truth page, and they are giving all proceeds from T-shirts, sweatshirts, mugs, hats, beanies. Um, they're giving that to our ministry. They're donating that. So this is not a money-making endeavor. So uh, thank you for spending a few extra dollars, and, and they're using quality vendors. So the shirts, and, and I, I ordered a couple, and the mug I'll uh, hopefully get, get them and take a picture of them when I get them and say, yes, it's got host approval, the podcast host approval. Anyway, go to redpillprints.com and, um, yeah, buy a print, as they say. Now, this is a young Christian family in Canada who is doing this, and they have a lot of other gear and merchandise on there as well. So we're, they have uh, you know, partnered with us. And what a blessing to have all these different organizations contacting us and saying, hey, we love what you're doing. We need to help. We need to work together. And I agree, friends, you need to lock arms with those who have a common biblical worldview. We are going to need each other, right? Um, So what is today? (laughs) We're halfway through March already. Did you just look at the calendar like I did? Anyway, we're halfway through March. Thank you guys so much. We're doing a show on... Uh, local politics Thursday and God willing I pray uh, we've got Ray Comfort scheduled on Friday he's with Way of the Master and Living Waters Ministries he's got a brand new book out but tomorrow you will hear about kind of a shocking documentary Enemies Within the Church Pastor Kerry Gordon make sure you listen to and share that podcast big time But, uh, guys, thank you again so very much. We are so blessed. Let's stick together. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. All right, guys? God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.